Chapter Fifteen of *The Wishing Horse of Oz* by Ruth Plumley Thompson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Beth Thomas. Chapter Fifteen: The Dooners. All day, with only a short pause for lunch, Pegasus had flown north. Dorothy keeping a sharp lookout for Thunder Mountain or mountains of any sort, but the wild, desolate country through which they were flying was flat, desert-like, and apparently perfectly uninhabited. <coughs> "'A fine, healthy chance we have of finding an army here,' snorted Pegasus, as the afternoon drew to a hot, weary close. "'And what we'll do when we find Thunder Mountain, I haven't the faintest notion, have you? Even if I butt my nose black, blue and blunt, and you break both knuckles beating on its rocky exterior, how can we ever hope to enter such a place, much less release our unfortunate sovereigns?' I told you Calico was a scoundrel. I'll wager he's sent us on a wild goose chase just to get us out of the way. Ah, oh, don't say I told you so. There's always some way, you know, said Dorothy, almost as downhearted as Pegasus, though she would not admit it. The pink pig, rather ashamed of himself, flew for several miles without saying anything. Then, in a rather gruff voice, he called Dorothy's attention to the changing nature of the scenery below. Notice the hills? he snorted more hopefully. Maybe there is a mountain after all, but the sun's going down and I'm ready to sink myself, so let's descend and see whether we can find a nice soft rock on which to lay our heads. Not hills, dunes, cried Dorothy, bouncing off as soon as Pegasus touched earth. Sand dunes, we must be near the coast and the Nonestic Ocean. It does smell salty, <laughs> agreed Pegasus, sniffing the air eagerly. But suppose we save the ocean for tomorrow. My feet ache, my wings ache, and I'm hollow as a drum. Then we'll have supper, decided Dorothy sensibly. So seating themselves comfortably with their backs against a dune, the two weary explorers finished up all the cold meat, fruit, pie and sandwiches Schufenwaller had packed up for them. After a long, wistful sniff into the box convinced him there was not another crumb, Pegasus folded his wings lay down in the soft sand at the foot of the dune, giving only indistinct grunts and snorts to Dorothy's questions and observations. Finally, getting no answer at all, Dorothy discovered he was asleep. The regular rise and fall of the pink pig's sides, the soft, drowsy singing of the west wind, lulled Dorothy into a pleasant state of dreaminess, and presently, with her head comfortably pillowed on the pig's plump shoulder, she fell asleep too. It must have been hours later, when terrified squeals from Pegasus and the patter of a hundred hurrying feet made her start up in alarm. Still only half awake, she was startled to find herself and Pegasus surrounded by a horde of savage-looking sandmen. In the pale and watery moonlight, they looked like creatures out of some very bad dream. Their bodies were roughly moulded of sand, their eyes strangely green and phosphorescent, while their hair, rising like beech grass from their pointed heads, waved about their lumpy faces. Clutching the basket that contained her small store of clothing, the black witch's powder of darkness and Potoroo's box of stumbling blocks, Dorothy pressed back against the dune. Her first idea of leaping on the pig's back and bidding him fly was useless. Pegasus lay helplessly on his side, his wings and legs bound tightly with long strands of tough, strong seaweed. Thankful to find that she at least was free, Dorothy went a step closer to her struggling, squealing, furious little comrade. As she did so, a perfect shower of sandballs came flying toward them. 
The sharp sting of the Sandman's missiles not only awoke her completely, but goaded her into instant and angry action. Stop that! Stop that at once! she cried, stamping her foot indignantly. But her words only brought another shower of sandballs down on their heads. You have dared to invade the sacred domain of the Dunas, yelled the rasping voice of the leader, rattling a long string of seashells he wore around his neck. And therefore you shall be sandballed, sandbagged, and made into sandwiches for the sand crabs. If the Duna had not looked so wild and dangerous, his foolish threat might have been amusing. But as he and his bandy-legged sandmen came leaping forward, Pegasus gave a squeal of sheer terror, and Dorothy, raising the basket over her head, hurled it with all her might into the midst of the advancing army. The effect was immediate and astonishing. Cowering down beside Pegasus and expecting to be seized or trampled on, Dorothy saw the first line of Dunas going down like a row of tenpins, and then all the others began tumbling and tripping and falling in heaps. No sooner would a sandman rise than he would instantly tumble down again, and their squalls and screeches of rage were so piercing Dorothy put both hands over her ears. It's the blocks, wheezed Pegasus, managing to lift his head a few inches. Calico's stumbling blocks are flying like fur and fury. Now if they just keep him down for a while longer, we might get away. Dorothy, peering sharply into the midst of the tumbling dunas, saw the fifty magic squares released from their box when she flung her basket, fairly exploding with activity. And scramble up as they would after each tumble, the sandmen could not advance an inch, nor even manage to stand erect. The leader, attempting to crawl forward on his hands and knees, was caught by a dozen of the whirling missiles and rolled back like a log among his churning comrades. Hooray! Three cheers for Calico! puffed Pegasus. Quick, my girl, see if you can untie these wretched seaweeds and we'll be flying and off in a pig whistle. I have a pair of scissors in my basket, if it hasn't fallen out, and anyway I'm not going without my things, declared Dorothy, now quite bold since the enemy had been overcome by magic. And in spite of the pig's anxious squeals of warning, she rushed forward, grabbed her basket and began picking up her scattered belongings, noting with a sigh of relief that the box containing the powder of darkness was still closed. With the scissors still safe in the little pocket in the side of the basket, she soon clipped the seaweed trusses from Pegasus, and clasping the basket in her arms, climbed swiftly on his back. Pegasus, without one backward glance, rose straight into the air and again headed north. Dorothy, peering fearfully over his left wing, saw the Dunas spring suddenly to their feet, and then, like frightened prairie dogs, disappear into many holes in the sand. Funny, mused Dorothy that they had not noticed these openings before. Funny that the Dunas had stopped stumbling as soon as she and Pegasus had taken to the air. Funny, but then everything was funny. Right in the middle of her conjectures, the box of stumbling blocks, now closed and tied with a red ribbon, dropped plink into the middle of her basket. Someone's throwing things, gasped Pegasus, flapping his wings a bit faster and looking rather wildly over his shoulder. No, just our box of stumbling blocks yawned Dorothy. Now that the excitement was over, she felt dreadfully tired, and even the sight of the nonestic ocean rippling and gleaming a few yards ahead did not arouse or interest her. It did not interest Pegasus, either. He was far from pleased to find himself so near the coast. "'I don't like this. I don't like this at all,' muttered the pig, perking up his ears and wiggling his nose rapidly. 
we've flown straight north, and instead of striking Thunder Mountain, we strike the sea. And how could a mountain be in the middle of a sea? There are mountains on islands, and I have a notion there are plenty of islands out there in the ocean, said Dorothy sleepily, recalling the days she had studied geography in the United States. Take Japan, for instance, over there. Mountains are simply everywhere. I don't care if they are, answered Pegasus fiercely. I won't go to Japan, and I'll not go a wing's breadth over this ocean tonight, islands or no islands. So, hey, there's the North Star to our left, so we're not going north at all. We're off course, that's what we are. North Star, North Star, of course we are, mumbled Dorothy with a drowsy nod. You're asleep, scolded Pegasus in a worried voice. I'd better land. If you land too soon, you'll strike a dune, warned Dorothy with another yawn. After a quick glance below, and convinced they were still over the duna's domain, Pegasus spread his wings a bit wider and swung along the coast, looking carefully for a safe place to land and spend the rest of the night. He was so busy squinting downward that he never saw the long, curious, tube-like shadow shooting after him with incredible accuracy and speed. A terrific blast of air as it rushed by them on the right was his first warning of danger. Dorothy, too, caught unaware, gave a faint shriek as an immense snake-like body curved back and began to coil round and round them like some gigantic air serpent. It is a snake, thought poor Dorothy, as Pegasus hung helplessly in the little circle of air left in the centre of its coils. Neither spoke, for truly there seemed nothing to say or do. Then... Just as the suspense grew too awful to be endured, the monster opened its mouth, and Dorothy, backing as far along the pig's back as she possibly could, almost lost her balance. Instead of a tongue or long tusks, out popped the head and shoulders of a little old man, no larger than Dorothy herself. Pardon me, he murmured politely. I was looking for a sea serpent. Do I look like a sea serpent? snorted Pegasus in a quivering voice, for he was still half-choked from shock and fright. If you and that monster you're riding are looking for a sea serpent, go ahead, look for one, but leave honest travellers alone. Monster? exclaimed the little man in a hurt voice. Oh, I say, now you have us all wrong. This is no monster. This is the long, strong, flexible, stretchable, shooting tower of my private castle, and I myself am Bitty Bit, the seer of some summit. In the short silence that followed Bitty Bit's astonishing announcement, Dorothy, examining more closely the tube-like coils encircling herself and Pegasus, saw that they really were of stone with rubber-like sections between. What she had taken for a mouth was really a window. With his elbow resting on the ledge, Bitty Bit was regarding them fixedly. Well, even if you are a seer and have a shooting tower, grunted Pegasus, gathering courage as he went along, there is no reason for you to come towering over us this way. But a seer must be constantly looking for things, explained Bitty Bit, spreading his hands expansively. That, you know, is his business. I am always looking for something, and tonight it happens to be sea serpents. Sorry to disappoint you, said Pegasus more mildly. But since we are not sea serpents, perhaps you'll be good enough to unwind your tower. As it happens, I have little looking to do myself. As a matter of fact, when you and your tower overtook us, I was searching for a safe place for this young princess and myself to spend the night. Look no more, begged Bitty Bit, leaning so far over the sill, Dorothy involuntarily put out her hand to save him from falling. 
You shall both spend the night in my castle. Come. Grasping Dorothy by one hand and Pegasus by one wing, the little seer with superhuman strength for one so small and wrinkled dragged them both through the open window of his shooting tower. End of chapter 15